This is Who Wore What When, a podcast where we examine the lives of historical figures and what clothing they wore in the most significant moments of their lives. I'm your host, Maggie Latham, joined once again <laughs> by the incredible Bella McAllister. Uh, thanks. You're incredible. I oh. need to say I'm incredible. You're here for you're here for Jesus. I'm here for Jesus. I'm here to break bread, drink a little bit of wine. Is that what they do? Yeah. I don't know much about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I know I about also, the historical man Jesus. Yes. Also don't know much about biblical man Jesus. But, but we learned. Yeah. We learned. We did, yeah. We did a lot of research. Educational. I think my grandmother would be proud. Hey. Um, so as we've said, today's topic is Jesus of Nazareth, better known as Jesus Christ. The only substantial source for Jesus' life are the Gospels of the New Testament, which were written by Mark between 60 and 80 AD, and then followed by Matthew, Luke, and John between 75 and 90 AD. Some information uh, can be found in the letters of Paul, which were written in 50 AD. But the most interesting fact, and Dabney's favorite fact, even though she's not here, she's going to love this part... (laughs) Jesus was most likely born sometime between 4 and 6 BC. And for those of you who don't know what BC means, it means before Christ. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) And you may be confused. Well, But there's a good reason for it. There was a Roman dating system at the time that used the mythical founding of Rome um, as the basis point, as your one. And it was called AUC, which means, which uh, is short for Ab Urbe Condita, which means from the founding of the city. Romulus and Remus back at it again. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those little wolf boys. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jungle Book. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just connect every yeah, okay, person great. to a Disney movie. Great. Um, there was a man named Dionysus Exigus uh, who lived from 470 to 544 current era, um, and he determined that Jesus was born in 753 AUC. And so by determining this, he created a system based off the birth of Jesus that was that replaced the Roman system of AUC. So 753 AUC became 1 AD, Anno Domini is what AD means, or the year of our Lord, I was always taught as a youngster that it meant after death. Yeah, as yeah. in after the death of yeah. Christ. I finally learned that Anno Domini was the actual yeah. thing. Yeah, after death also works, yeah. but that actually doesn't work. That wouldn't yeah. make sense because then he would have to have died in the year one. Yeah, instead of being born. Exactly. So we He's were a just mysterious man. We were yes. just dumb kids. Yeah. <laughs> so everything that happened after Jesus was born became 1 AD, Anno Domini, uh, and on, and the years before Jesus was born are BC, or before Christ. And we still use this today. Some people who want to be more secular use BCE and CE, before current era and current era. Mm. Um, but a lot of you still today see a lot of BC and AD. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting, all yeah. that stuff. Um, mm, how religion can weave its way into yes. everything. Even though everyone tries not to. Or some some people try not to. Yeah, they're not successful. Um, The Gospels don't really show any interest in dating Jesus' birth. 
um, and have no references to any sort of Roman dating system or any other dating systems for that matter. But Matthew does state that he was born in the days of Herod the king. Um, that makes Dionysus Exegus's calculations inaccurate <laughs> because Herod ruled from 716 AUC or 37 BC um, to 749 AUC, Ooh. which is 4 BC. Uh-oh. Therefore... Just misses the mark. <laughs> just missed it by that much. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, Jesus had to have been born earlier than uh, his calculations. He couldn't have been born after 4 BC because of Herod. Mm. Um, it is possible, actually, that he was born as early as 17 BC, according to some scholars. Mm. So he could have... Could have really, really been off. <laughs> you could have really messed <laughs> we, that one up. We don't even know. Um, so, talking about these discrepancies in dates, um, there's a really interesting thing about uh, Christianity and Christmas. I wrote as the title, December 25th can kiss my arse. We're trying to uh, keep it PG here. The first two centuries of Christianity did not indicate Jesus being born on December 25th. So Christ uh, became a substitute for pagan, the pagan celebration of winter solstice. So you know how Maggie was talking about in the beginning, the whole um, shift in the Roman dating system. So in uh, the Roman system, they had this whole celebration called uh, for winter, and it was the birthday of the unconquered sun is what they called it, Natilis Solis Invicti honoring Saturn, the god of agriculture, and it was from December 17th um, through the 25th. So when everyone converted to Christianity, uh, Christ became that substitute. So after the Roman emperor Constantine I converted the empire to Christianity, which is what I already just said in uh, 312, he and his church leaders looked to substitute all pagan festivals, not just the winter solstice, with Christian teachings to achieve seamlessness and transitioning. It, it is easier to uh, get people on board with your new right. godlike figure if you can effectively be like, yeah, but it's like the same as this. Right. It's like putting a new mold in your old bathroom, <laughs> in your old bathtub. That was a terrible dad situation. He's like, you know, it's like putting a new mold over the top of your old bathroom. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. Or tile on top of your wood floor. It's, I don't know. And it's stuck, apparently. Yeah. Worked yeah, for because, people. Yeah. They well, liked you, it. you go from worshiping all of these, all different kinds of gods and goddesses, and then you go to just one, and then Jesus. And people are like, what? But oh, oh, everything's fine, though. All the festivals are kept. That's what's important. So allegedly, the world was created on summer solstice, and so the Virgin Mary would have conceived Jesus on that day, too, nine months later, late December. Save your birthday extravaganza is justifiable, is what I wrote. Yeah. Um, woohoo! So they basically created that fact that um, if Jesus were to have his birthday on, or he, if he was to be born on the 25th, she would have had to have conceived nine months earlier. Oh, so, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, we biology. can just we can change that. They did everything, they changed everything else, so might as well just do it all, the whole shebang. So the first documented celebration of Christ in December was 336 AD, and it was called Christ's Nativity Festival 
uh, brought to you by the Church of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was sponsored by the Church of Rome. <laughs> Thanks for that Christ yeah. Nativity Festival. Yeah, of course. In 336 AD. Right, and it was an interesting fact that I was like, whoa, what? Because yeah, I'd always known that it was, there was some discrepancy about that date, but... Right, well, not so much later right. than you would think. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So Palestine, or modern-day Israel, was part of the Roman Empire, as previously stated. Uh, it was an important territory because it lay between the two most valuable territories, Egypt and Syria. Rome had legions in Egypt and in Syria, but not in Palestine, provided that it remained loyal and peaceful and didn't undermine any of the larger interests of Rome as an empire. When Herod the Great died, uh, the kingdom was divided into five parts. Gentile areas were separated, and the Jewish areas were split by the Jewish Herod's sons, um, because Herod was a Jewish king. Uh, His son Herod Archelaus got Judea and Idumea, Um, Plus, he also received the bonus of the non-Jewish Samaria. Nice. Um, And his son, Herod Antipas, um, who is sometimes called Herod in the New Testament, which is annoying and confusing, but we get over it, um, (laughs) got Galilee and Perea. The non-Jewish areas were given to his third son, Philip, um, which can you imagine having brothers named like Herod Archelaus and Herod Antipas? (laughs) And then being named Philip. <laughs> like, like, I'm like done. this is this is uh, Herod uh, Archelaus, and this is Herod Antipas, and, and that's Philip. <laughs> that's my boy Philip. Um, I found that hilarious when I was researching it. Um, I could not stop yeah, laughing. That is so and he funny. didn't even get any of the like good Jewish territories he right. got, like the other ones. Yeah. Um, which was funny. Um, so the non-Jewish areas. <laughs> this is brought to you by poor Philip. <laughs> <laughs> poor Philip. It's also such an odd name for the time, I feel like. Right. Like, yeah. Philip seems out of place. Yeah. I guess there was like Matthew, John, and Luke. Right. And yeah. Philip is just... Paul. And, yeah. It's okay. Later he would say Prince Philip is in Sleeping Beauty, right? Oh, yeah. Later he would actually rescue Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> yeah. That actually happened in the year yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fun facts. Yeah. Um, so the non-Jewish areas were given to Philip, uh, Herod's sister, or to the province of Syria. They were kind of split amongst, um, those three recipients. Um, Matthew and Luke claimed in their gospels that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was a Galilean. He was named Jesus, or Yeshua in Aramaic, which is a Syrian dialect of Hebrew, um, Yehoshua or Joshua in Hebrew, um, Isaus or Isuos in Greek, I don't speak Greek, I apologize, mm. or Isaeus in Roman. Mm. Um, so these are all different uh, ways that you may see his name. Wow. That's it was, neat. yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. I, I really got into this part. Yeah. Um, it was customary for Jews at the time to only have one name. Um, and then either their father's name or their place of origin as their surname, hence Jesus of Nazareth. And Christ was not a name during his lifetime that he ever had. It was derived from the Greek word Christos, which translates to the Hebrew term Messiah or Messiah, which means the anointed one. Uh, His later followers believed him to be the anointed son of King David of the Jews, uh, who many Jews 
expected to restore the fortunes of Israel. Jesus' parents were, of course, Mary, or Miriam in Hebrew, or Mariam in Aramaic, and Joseph, Yosef in Hebrew, and also Yosef in mm. Aramaic. <laughs> nice. Same thing. <laughs> um, Joseph was a carpenter, and it was traditional for the children to do the same occupation as their parents, so Jesus was also probably a carpenter. Things like the virgin birth and the birth in Bethlehem have a much later origin and were not introduced until the Gospels significantly after Jesus' death. I'm not saying anything either Mm. way. That's just the facts. Jesus' education growing up was mostly just a detailed study of Hebrew scriptures, uh, which was very common among the devout poor in the area. So moving it on to his middle years, his teenage years, there's very little recorded history on Jesus's middle years of life. Was he emo? We'll never know. <laughs> Did he have yeah. that scene phase? Did he have that? He was like, nice no, no, don't talk to me. And I don't want to hammer anything in today. Did he have just like a bunch of silly bands? Yeah, he did. <laughs> they <laughs> cut off all the blood circulation. Yeah, yeah. those snappy bands. Ancient Roman I heart boobies. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So yeah, so there was very little recorded. What was most recorded was the Last Supper through the crucifixion that has, the, I mean, it's in the Bible, there's a ton of detail on it. It's all people really yeah. care about. Right, yeah, they're like, oh yes, this is the great part. It's like a, it's like the climax of any sort of movie or, or book or anything good like that. Well, and for the most part, up until then, he was just kind of a normal dude. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't that interesting, <laughs> in all honesty, <laughs> he until... He was walking around. He had that. Doing his carpenter-like things. Yeah. Helping people out. So... During this time of Jesus' life, the Roman prefect who was in charge of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea was Pontus uh, Pilati, who was doing his, who was in charge of that area, area from 26 to 36 AD. So Pontius relied on local leaders and only came to Jerusalem to ensure peace during large festivals such as Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Jerusalem was governed on a day-to-day basis by a high priest who mediated between a Roman prefect and the locals who wanted to be free from foreign interference. As anyone would. Mm -hmm. uh, So Caiaphas, he was a high priest during Jesus' life, held office from 18 to 36 AD and was considered a successful and reliable diplomat. So in his 20s slash 30s, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus began spreading the message of the kingdom of God approaching. That was his his big thing. Um, He stressed the importance of repentance by the people of Israel. And from then on, he was an iterant preacher and healer and developed quite the public persona. He was probably mostly known as an exorcist, Uh, which is really interesting. Um, And it would account for the miracles that were attributed to him. That's pretty amazing. I just, like, I'm sitting in the exorcist fact. Yeah, Not, like, anything crazy, like any, like, the exorcist movie, but he was probably just chill about it. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, get out. No, it's it's interesting. He cleansed people. It's not something that's often talked about. Mm. So... 
we all know the Last Supper and um, the, the chosen 12 that are the apostles and disciples of Jesus. So we thought we'd just give a full list of them. Uh, but the full list of the 12 is given in some variation in Mark 3, Matthew 10, and Luke 6. So Peter was one of them, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, or Judas, the son of James, Simon the Canaanian, or Zealot, and Judas is a chariot. So... I think it's just funny that he had people like named Bartholomew there. Right, yeah. Thomas, I, James. I know nothing about this part of Jesus' life, so that's very intriguing to me. Right, yeah. Well, because there's so many, there's normal names, and then there's... Yeah, it's like... Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, Drew, how yeah, you doing? And Zealot. He's just like, here I am. Um, Jesus probably believed that God would restore the 12 tribes of Israel, including the 10 lost tribes, which is reflected in his choosing of 12 apostles. So this was a common belief at the time among devout Jews, so it, it wouldn't have been out of question for him. Um, not radical. Mm. He did have special teachings and trainings. Um, which included spreading of good faith and of his religious views on things. These teaching methods included uh, his expression of thoughts about the human condition in the form of parables, um, but also believed strictly in the authority of Hebrew sacred scriptures. That's hard to say. Mm. He believed that the outward compliance with the law was not nearly as important as values such as loving one's enemies, and he did share many attributes with two Jewish sects of the time, the Pharisees and the Essenes, which included the simple way of life, his pacifist spirit, common ownership of property, common meals, exorcisms, and emphasis on love for each other. And I just have to say that I think common meals are a great idea. Yesterday yeah. I was at a restaurant and someone had onion rings and they smelled very good and I wanted them, oh. but I didn't want to buy onion rings. So yeah. I felt like they should be Did more Jesus-like right. and share those onion rings yeah. with me. Right. These are to, just my thoughts. Yeah, I went to a ramen place in Brooklyn and like everyone was kind of like in their own section, but like we're all sitting at a big table and I think... That's interesting. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. It makes me think of family, but... Well, it's still, it's also actually still a big thing in Jewish culture. Oh, yeah. Um, and when I was in Israel and we went to the, um, well, they're not Jewish, but the Bedouin camps, uh, they like sit you down in a tent and they're like... Here's some big plates of food. Right. Go nuts. And go. everyone's just like sharing it. It was really nice. And it's really good. Yeah. I think it must have been. Okay. That's all I have to say on that. Yeah. I just want onion rings. Yeah. So, just in case we're going back to the 12 disciples situation, all the things that he taught and all the things that he encouraged in his teachings to his disciples. Judas would later betray him, aka Last Supper situation, and tell all the people about Jesus, and then he would get crucified. Sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. Snake Judas. Anyway. So onto the clothing, the main Yay! part. Yay! So all of these, I like to point out that the, all these portraitures of Jesus, especially in medieval times, have him depicted as this like glowing god kind of figure but he was not a man of the fine cloth historically no way he was a poor 
carpenter traveling by foot, so he, he probably had excellent mending skills due to the high prices of fabrics and material goods, so he was resourceful, probably patched up. He's wearing woolen undyed tunics, perhaps a hemation or a chiton over the top, a loincloth underneath, and a mantle or outer shawl for when it gets cold, a, co a coat of sorts, and um, sandals made of thick pieces of leather sewn together with leather straps to the toes. So kind of like what we wear, but it's more like, I think of, <laughs> I don't know, like if, I'm trying to think, describe it exactly, but you know, like leather purses, just like leather purse on your shoe. <laughs> yeah, just like, just like stick a piece your foot of fabric. In. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't even have like a sole. It's just two pieces of leather sewn together. Well, and the interesting thing is, I feel like the f the sandals are really the only thing that people have correct about Jesus and what right, he wore. Right. Right. That's funny. Yeah. He also probably would have worn seat seat uh, on or under his tunic. Tzitzi are specifically knotted ritual fringes or tassels worn by observant Jews and attached on the four corners of the talit, or sometimes just their tunic garment. His hair and beard would have been kept fairly short because of cleanliness and lice of the time, um, and it was also the style in Rome and for practicing Jews because of cleanliness uh, laws mm. in the Torah. Yeah, he probably just took a knife and just sheared it off. Yeah. yeah. We'll get more into his, his yeah. full image later, though. Yeah. That'll, that'll be exciting. Mm -hmm. um, so now on to what he is most known for, uh, his crucifixion. <laughs> um, not, uh, not how most of us would like to be <laughs> to remembered yeah. for how they died, but, know. you know, it's, it's kind of important. Brutal. Yeah. Um, so toward the end of his life, most likely between 29 and 33 AD or CE, he went to Jerusalem to attend Passover, and his entrance was celebrated and was marked with eschatological significance, according to the Gospels, meaning his death, the final destination of his soul, was approaching. Um, this is also known as the Last Supper. Yes, that's right, the Last Supper was Passover, a Jewish celebration that happens in the springtime. This was the climax of his public life, and he ended up engaging in many disputes with lots and lots of adversaries. Some religious authorities were seeking to get him to incriminate himself by approaching him and raising controversial theological topics um, oh, and trying geez. to get him to run his mouth a little bit so yeah. that they could get him arrested. Jesus was a troublemaker who threatened public harmony because of his large number of enemies, so the Jewish court, known as Sanhedrin, um, wanted to get rid of him. And if they didn't, the Romans would have to intervene to restore order in the area, which would break the fine balance of Jewish and Roman power, and Sanhedrin had no interest in that. Mm -hmm. They did not want anyone to come into their space like, which is no. fair yeah it's fair and valid have boundaries <laughs> i wouldn't necessarily leave room for jesus convict someone of a crime over it but mm. you know right um so jesus was arrested and taken to sanhedrin where he was judged and found guilty of blasphemy and was condemned to death but the execution order had to be issued by roman authority because jewish court didn't have that sort of power so Jesus was brought to the procurator of Rome, who ended up ordering the execution. 
And actually, technically speaking, Jesus never denied the charges that were placed against him. So per Roman law, he should have been convicted but not executed. Isn't that Mm. interesting? He should not have actually been put to death because according to the law at the time, he had no reason to be put to death. What? Um, Yeah. Huh. Fun and funky. Yeah. And they probably knew that, but they weren't going to spill the beans. Yeah. It's uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because he... In order to be executed, you have to deny the charges. But because uh, he didn't deny them, he... But Jesus knew that. He was like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he said that he would... Um, he wow. said that he did it. Wow. But he was put to death anyway. Although, you know, some people believe that that was not his death. Right. So... Right. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All around. All these discrepancies, yo. Yeah. They're everywhere. And, of course, Jesus was crucified on a hill outside Jerusalem. Crucifixion was a common Roman practice, but not actually a Jewish form of punishment. So this was all the Romans. This Mm. was not the Jews anymore. They... The Romans were like, we got this. (laughs) They were like, don't worry about it, folks. (laughs) Um, We'll take care of this guy. And, of course, as I mentioned, Christians believe that three days after his death, Jesus was resurrected... Um, And because of that, he became a figure of the so-called future hope that some Jews had that God would intervene and send a son of David, uh, the king of the Jews, as a Messiah who would overthrow the Romans and restore Israel to a state of freedom, peace, and prosperity. This was not, however, a belief held by all Jews at the time, of course, because if it was, then there would be no Jews anymore. There would only be Christians. Right. Uh, and many aspects of Jesus' career support that he did believe in this God, God's right. intervention. Right. Mm-hmm. So continuing with his, the way that he manifested himself in society and how his uh, legacy continued on even after his crucifixion, he had a pretty significant legacy in being the figurehead of the largest religion of the world. Um, that's pretty amazing, <laughs> considering yeah. how it went out. Um, Although, from, did you know? Did you know that um, more kids can recognize uh, Ronald McDonald than Jesus? Oh, in America, dang, that's capitalism. Ooh, Ronald McDonald. We somehow always manage to get political. Right. <laughs> I know. Doop doop doop. Um, so, for a man whose image has been so widely consumed by centuries of audiences around the world, his image is severely skewed, as we pointed out in his clothing and the way that he kept himself up. You know, we're, we're able to get Ronald McDonald's image right, but we can't get <laughs> Jesus's image right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, representations of Christ in art from around the world mark incredible differences in interpretations of his story and the way it affects different audiences, different people from different cultures, and people from all around the world. Some great resources are Google Art, um, it's arts and culture at google.com, and uh, Britannica also has a great selection of images from mosaics to stained glass to relief sculptures to figurines. Um, one of, part of, uh, even costume history, but also I took an art history class at Hofstra, and Susan, she's the best, she taught us all about the different ways art is, was interpreted in different regions, 
So one significant piece of art was the Pieta. The Pieta is a figure that comes out of Italian Renaissance art coined by Michelangelo and also Germanic Renaissance art where Christ's crucified body is being held in the lap of most commonly his mother. So it suggests sorrow, lamentation of Mary, and graphic and darker emotions which are really significant in Germanic art and are a huge difference between most Italian Renaissance art and also medieval art which glorified Jesus and prefer happier moments and Germanic art is, is very dark and that was something that was unfavorable to a lot of different cultures. So, and another image is the Madonna and Child, and that suggests themes of devotion and immaculate conceptions. And we all know that (laughs) scientifically, immaculate conception seems kind of meh. But anyway, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to skew you. We're not saying one way or the other. Yeah, we're just saying it doesn't happen every day. (laughs) Exactly. So branching off of that Madonna and child image, in 1431 AD, Theodokos, or Mother of God, is an image that emerges that has Mary and the baby Jesus enthroned to express the full deity of Christ. Mary's eyes are always pointed on her baby while her baby looks out to the viewer. Oftentimes people, there's this whole like meme culture about how they depict um, Jesus as like a man baby and people are like why is he a man baby but it's just it is to suggest that he was born with all the knowledge he needed to succeed and teach in the world also to be fair most of these were created um, before they had any sense of perspective and exactly. so the, they just kind of scaled down a human man <laughs> yeah. they kind of did that for all babies like all right. babies and old portraiture yeah. and things like that look yeah. Like full grown men. Um, <laughs> and it's not because people were giving birth to full grown men, it's right. because they just didn't have any concept of how yeah. to like draw a baby. Right. It was more iconography, which is a huge term in art history that is not it doesn't suggest accurate portrayals, but more the theological uh, manifestation of them. So their power or their um the religious significance, things like that. So it's not accurate, but it's more as an icon rather than historically accurate, (laughs) physically accurate situation. (laughs) So from that mother of God image, we get a lot of gestures that um, oftentimes need explaining. So in the right hand gesture of Jesus, there's the two fingers, the index and the middle finger and the thumb is extended as well and a lot of people are like oh he's making a peace sign but it's actually a sign of benediction or blessing that's also found in another famous image christ the pantocrator christ almighty as a lot of people call it which christ is isolated on a golden background with a halo encircling his head and his left arm is clutching the gospels to his chest and he has that right hand gesture that's kind of like it's a little like self-aggrandizing. Like, <laughs> let me just cut clutch the story of my life to my chest. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like this was made well after Jesus's death, and so it's just how other people interpret his image. 
Well, and also what I what I will say on that is that gesture, the the index and middle and thumb extended yeah. um, gesture, uh, was also according to David Henderson. So if it's wrong, you can all blame him. Yeah. Um, was also like a secret. Right, uh, a secret yeah, code. Yeah, it's like their secret code, like, we're with Jesus. Right. <laughs> we heart Jesus. Um, so you throw those up. <laughs> yeah, it's like having the, the like, I heart Jesus bumper sticker, but right. with your fingers. Because <laughs> they didn't have cars. Exactly. You had to do it one way. Right. You had to figure out how. So more on the man-baby-Jesus situation. It is a medieval concept of homunculus. So Jesus was born in a, in a perfected form and endowed with all the knowledge he needed so artists would combine a baby's body with a wizened face of a learned man. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a funny, funny statement. Uh, so another image that was popularized most recently actually was Harmonia Rosales' creation of God in 2017. So this was Harmonia's version of Michelangelo's creation story painted upon the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, if you all. That's a very iconic image. So it's God and Jesus surrounded by angels. In Harmonia's depiction, God, Jesus, and angels are all black women. So there was a lot of controversy around Harmonia's image, and it invoked a lot of different comments, hateful comments, the wickedness of man, she was trying to express the universality of Jesus' image. She was trying to make the image adaptable to herself and her own culture and her own situation and reach and affect a wider audience. So bringing about modernity and both the blasphemy that can be found in art. So, And she also created another image, the Virgin, which had a black Mary and Jesus kind of like Madonna and child situation. So I just think that she's amazing that she created an image that is solely her own and that it suggests that Jesus's image and the images that are found in Christianity can be interpreted in many different ways and it shouldn't be ridiculed because that's how you know people see different things in different ways and clearly from the way art history has tracked Jesus there's a lot of discrepancies in a lot of different ways that people see him, so or see her. So, <laughs> I say, do whatever you want. Anyway, so on top of all of that, the, the discrepancies found in art, there are some basic misconceptions that require some debunking about his image. Was he white? Nope, he was not white. He had olive tones in his skin on the darker side. Did he have blue eyes? Nah, son. He had brown eyes. Get that right. <laughs> was he tall? Well, according to male skeletal remains dating back to ancient Judea, Jesus would have been the average of five foot five. So no, he was not a tall hippie, as uh, many people are like, yeah, he's a tall hippie, and he does that little peace sign thing. No. Jesus was from the Middle East, so he had darker tones, and he was not white. So that's... That's a, that's a fact, and if you want to disagree, please send an email. <laughs> Short, dark, and not handsome. Yeah, and probably. also, this is a big headliner, Jesus was probably ugly <laughs> in, you know, the way that people see, you know, just societal standards and things like that. He could be beautiful in however you see him. But anyway, 
Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. And by that, I mean the person who holds all of the bees. (laughs) And has all the eyes. (laughs) Um, It's a big monster. (laughs) Did he have a beard and long hair? No, he did not. As we've said, many philosophers and Jewish men kept their beards trimmed and their hair short. Cleanliness and a life deterrent. Moses and David were described as handsome figures in the Bible, but there is no mention of Jesus being handsome in the Hebrew Bible. So, people were like, yeah, Jesus was amazing, but ooh. <laughs> Just <Bummer. kidding>. yeah. <laughs> So, many artistic depictions, actually, all artistic depictions of Jesus were not crafted until two centuries after his death. So, that's 200 years until they started actually drawing and painting and mosaicing him. So, they weren't entirely accurate. And all the original Im- images came from the Byzantine Empire, and they had symbolic iconography as part of their whole artistic plan. So, as I was saying before, not artistically accurate or realistic. So an example of this is the mosaic of Santa Pudenziana. And that's a great example of the... Well, and it's interesting to me that it took so long for them to create portraits of them because of the Hebrew... uh, concept like the jewish concept of not creating idols right um so i'm wondering if that had something to do with it probably and i'm sure it did i have no facts to back it up but that sounds that's something i should have researched more into i mean that's probably they probably weren't like we are not painting him because (laughs) we don't do that (laughs) because jews say no but it's i that's really interesting that the that tradition held on but only to a certain point yeah so we get a lot of our of what we see Jesus is and what we believe that he looks like now or what we've been schooled to believe is what he looks like from the Byzantine Empire. So thank you for skewing our image of Jesus. Anyway. Constantine. Woo. Um, so, and because he was a carpenter and a man who spent most of his days walking, he didn't really eat a lot of food. He was probably muscular, but not overly supple-skinned or healthy-looking as he is depicted in many other images. And he probably has scarring on his skin, perhaps, and he's definitely darker from the sun and everything. And based on the clothing that he wore, he didn't have total coverage. So they didn't have copper tones. So I'm going to get a banana boat. (laughs) So yeah, his image is is entirely different from how many images are, even today, even, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. But it's time to make his image universal, y'all. Yeah. Make him in all kinds of... Accurate Jesus 2K19. Yeah. Or, you know, interpret him however you want to interpret him. How do you see Jesus? Well, and I mean, same thing, if if he is really this Messiah, this this son of God, this... Um, ever-present being, then he sh- would take whatever form right. you want him to. Same with God, you know, it's it's up to the interpretation of the person who believes in it. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and one of the more interesting things about Jesus's legacy is that in the late 18th century, some academics began to suggest that Jesus might not have actually existed at all. Um, there are many contradictions between the Gospels, and there are suspicious similarities between Jesus and many other religious figures, like Adonis, Addis, Dionysus, 
Krishna, Mithra, and Osiris. Um, these similarities are their miracle birth, their death for the benefit of humankind, and then, of course, their resurrection. And, you know, to be fair, there is a lack of contemporary historical source for his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is uncertain authorship of many early Christian documents, and many consider some of those inauthentic. Um, so, in all fairness, Jesus probably did exist, uh, historically speaking, because the influence of charismatic leaders seems to be a semi-crucial factor for the creation of significant religious or philosophical movements, and mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine mm-hmm. Christianity being as massive as it is yeah. with a fake figurehead, because it is, yeah. you know, would be wild. the biggest <laughs> of all those what. religions. Thanks so much for listening to Who, Wore What, When. Tune in next week when we talk about one of the most powerful women, not only of the Middle Ages, but of all time, Eleanor of Aquitaine. This episode of Who, Wore What, When was researched and written by myself, Maggie Latham, and of course, myself, Bella McAllister. It was edited and produced by Dabney Rao. This podcast was inspired by David Henderson's History of Clothing course at Hofstra University. This episode was sponsored by Refusing to Go Outside, Coupons to Postmates, and Shared Watermelon. Shared Watermelon! Bella's favorite. Some of the research for this episode came from History.com, BBC News, and Live Science. Would you like to see all the incredible clothes we're talking about? Check out the new app, Entail. Entail is a new podcast platform which allows creators to add pictures, maps, links, quotes, and chapters to their shows for a rich, interactive experience. Entail users don't need to search for photos of the clothing we're mentioning. They can see exactly what we're talking about as we're saying it. Download it today at the Apple App Store and search who, wore what, when to follow us. Did you know, Bella, that making a podcast costs money? It does. It does indeed. What? If you at home would like to help make the production of this podcast possible, you can follow us on Patreon by searching Who Wore What When. I can? You can indeed. Wow. For only $1 per month, you'll get access to bonus episodes. And for $5 per month, you can get access to some of our research materials. Diggity dang. Isn't that a great deal? Diggity deal of a me. Oh, man. And did you know that additionally, for a one-time donation of $50, you'll get a custom embroidery made by me? (gasps) Yes. I I have one, and it's really nice. And I have it on my door. I do stuff sometimes. It's really great. She's very skilled. Please support us with however much you can afford by going to Patreon and searching for who or what when. We appreciate every contribution, no matter how big or small. Exactly. But we'd prefer it to be big. <laughs> Special thanks to David Henderson, Jesus, and everyone who voted on my Instagram poll that they would listen to this podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. How many stars, Bella? five stars please thank you <laughs> please sir five stars only and tell people to listen yes we're cool and stuff exactly tell your friends tell your family tell everybody tell your enemies to listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah bella's coming back next time baby oh, yo bella's a regular i'm so excited and check us out on instagram at who wore what when pod 
Do you have questions, comments, or concerns? Email us at whoworewhatwhenquestions at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's suggestions, questions, comments, concerns, if you have some people you'd like to hear about. Any educational institutions that need some some good podcast stuff about costume history and history in general and famous figures. It's true. It's here. Well, and we'd love suggestions for people to uh, to talk about on here because our brains are only so powerful and can exactly. only come up with so many things. Exactly. Um, but yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. for jesus jesus is here amen (laughs) that all might be the outro (laughs) awesome it's good it's good stuff uh yeah i'm sure we just offended a whole lot of people but that's okay (laughs)